Oh, hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Welcome, everybody, to the Don't Go Outside podcast, your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse with your hosts, me, Robin. And me, Patch. Oh my god, he said it. He actually said it. My tagline. I did. My tagline is stuck. How are you doing? I'm very well. Um, I, I, I'm i geared up for a bit of a laser-focused episode. I hope the listeners don't mind. I'm going to probably talk very fast. That's um, fine. You, you you're you're quite you're quite adept with the old lasers. Um, I mean, I understand you use uh, lasers a lot in your work at the cryogenic facility. You know, when you're actually cutting people out of the ice, you have you use a big laser to kind of uh, cut the cut their cut them out in a big cube. Is that right? Yeah. Um, well, we actually use them for for more than that. I mean, besides the fact that we use them to you know light our cigarettes and other cool things along those lines. Nice. Um, yeah, we. It, so beyond actually cutting the um, patients out of the ice, quite a lot of the time during the defrosting process, you know, their limbs will go gangrenous. There'll be uh, some problems along those lines. So we cut bits off of them and then replace them with, well, whatever we can find. Really, um, at the beginning, it was cyborg parts. It was very cool. Should have seen what we mm-hmm. did to Walt Disney. He's basically a robot. Um, nice. But but now since we've ran out and there's no real infrastructure to get them back because of the post-apocalypse, uh, we just sort of stitch on whatever we've got. Could be a zombie leg, maybe a gargoyle hand. Generally, mutant bits could, that we get off of uh, Mad Max's man meat. You know the stuff that mm-hmm. didn't sell. Um, but yeah, so we use lasers for that quite a lot. Uh, do you got any anything particular you want to follow up from uh, our last episode, Robin? I mean, it was quite a packed one. I wondered if you had any, uh, any, um, you know, any any thoughts and feelings in the from the aftermath of our Wonder Woman chat. Maybe any any more Matrix uh, related tidbits. No more, no more Matrix related tidbits because I've I've not continued the series. Although I do plan to. Um, mm-hmm. My Wonder Woman follow up is. I feel exactly the same. I ha- my opinion hasn't softened whatsoever. I still think it's an absolute catastrophe of a film. Mm. Me too. Yeah, what wasn't great? Shame. Just, just a, just a big old shame. But uh, if you want to hear our full thoughts on Wonder Woman, uh, please go back to episode thirty, because um, uh, we we did a big old chat about it. I know I had some follow up on. Um, I was talking about the Final Fantasy VII remake last yeah. episode, um, and I've been playing a bit more of it. And the initial kind of, you know, uh, sense of wonder kind of <laughs> kind of wore off a wee bit. And I was like, "Oh wait, no, there is more to this game." I still love it. I still think it's a fantastic uh, recreation of a PlayStation One classic. But it has a very strange pacing problem hmm. that I found. Uh, a lot of recent Japanese kind of RPGs have where for like two or three hours you'll be blasted through the story with like an almost endless series of really incredible exciting boss battles and then it'll grind to a halt and be like okay now we have to do some fetch quests just um, just for no reason just we need to help out the, the little folk do some 
do some quests, go and kill some monsters, find some scrap bits. I've lost a key. Can you go get it? And you're like, well, this isn't what this this isn't what the game sold me on for the first few hours. <laughs> and then you do that. That's a good like hour and a half of fetch quests, which is like kind of I guess there for the min maxers who want like the biggest and best numbers for Cloud's sword. You know, it's like if I do all these fetch quests, then I will have the most powerful sword possible. But like. I found you can kind of get through the game without grinding, and it's not really that difficult to do if you just have like you know the standard sword. So yeah, it just confuses me that it just grinds to a halt. It's like, okay, we're going to do fetch quests now, and then before you know it, you're back on this like roller coaster adventure through Midgard, you know, like fighting giant robots and ghosts and stuff. And then it's like, okay, now, okay, stop that now. It's time for fetch quests again. Um, so I don't know. It's difficult, I find, because I, I want to go back to it and complete the game because I really, I really am enjoying it. Uh, but it's it's weird knowing that when I do pick it up again, I'll just have like a good hour and a half of like busy work to get through before getting to the really, you know, the the, the juicy stuff. Um, I don't know. It's weird. It feels like eating veg before dessert. But uh, I, I, you know, I do, I do totally understand it, um, and I certainly. This was apparent since Final Fantasy X, I think. It, you could see the glimmers of it starting, because I remember in Final Fantasy X, you hit the calm lands, and mm-hmm. up to that point, it was a cra- this crazy roller coaster, and then it was like, hey, oh, hold up, you you, you chill out there. Um, mm. But it was all optional. You could actually just consider, con- continue at a breakneck pace if you wanted. Um, but then yeah. I remember in Final Fantasy fourteen was that the one with the the car, the flying car, the one with the flying car. Fifteen, uh, um, it could be. Uh, and with I the remember that in the car? that certainly had pacing issues. Mm. Um, now, what I can say about what I can, I don't know, deduce about this Final Fantasy seven remake is perhaps they're trying to give it a similar pacing to the full Final Fantasy seven on the PS one. Um, mm-hmm. But just sort of condensed down to this, this basically the Midgard section. Now, mm-hmm. in Final Fantasy VII, I do remember it was this breakneck pace until you hit the world map, then it slowed you down yeah. a bit. Then you got into a breakneck pace again. Then you slowed you. Then it slowed you down a bit. But because it was um, this constant undulation of crazy fast-paced action, then slowing you down, then crazy fast-paced action. And with the world map developing each time after each of these stages, um, I feel it sort of had this continuity of momentum. And perhaps by trying to condense that down into what is ostensibly a, a shorter version of the plot, although there is more content within it, the, mm. the loss of that original pacing feels disjointed and doesn't feel right. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd agree with you there. I mean, I'd say the pacing in Final Fantasy VII was definitely different because it was an entirely different game once you got into the open world. Um, not entirely different, but it was like... It slowed down, basically, so that you could take in the world map. You know, it wasn't just slowing you down to be like, now you need to do these chores, you know? Yeah. It slowed down to be like, okay, so just take a breather because uh, there's a lot more to this world than you thought, and here it is in this map, 
so just just take your time and figure it out. Whereas this is kind of more like, no, you're not ready yet. Rather than saying, you know, just get used to this new idea. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. And you know what? Perhaps this is because uh, as a gaming community and as de- developers, they've got too comfortable with the idea of a world map. Um, yeah. I remember Final Fantasy VII... I it won't have been the first thing first game with an overworld or a world map not at all not by any stretch of the imagination but sure it was the first time certainly i and a lot of people will have experienced a world map of that capacity so coming out of such this this tightly tightly designed and overwhelmingly intense section which is midgard I mean, the the way they designed it was designed alongside what Midgard is itself, this massive cacophony of, you know, slums on top of slums with a over-city, you know, very tightly packed. So to come out of that into this mm. huge, expansive open world is, is completely overwhelming. Um, so it, it was almost required to slow the pace down there. And I think perhaps you know um, maybe that didn't seem so important but I suppose they haven't actually gone into a world map yet per se they haven't got to that stage as I understand the Final Fantasy 7 remake finishes at the end of the Midgard section yeah I think I think it will do Uh, I've not completed it yet but I'm getting that feeling so uh, yeah I mean I I feel like I'm quite close to the end Uh, so I think I just have like a little push of fetch quests to do and then it'll be like a, a, a very solid two or three hours of just exciting boss fights going up through the Midgard Tower and fighting and you know you, you, when you encounter X uh, Red, is it Red 23 or X 13 what am I thinking who's the lion Red fell? 13 Red 13 who's uh, X 23 is like Wolverine's daughter but yeah no <laughs> Red 13 <laughs> uh, haven't, uh, haven't encountered him yet so I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited for for that to show up i think there, there, there's been like little easter eggs being like oh shinra have been experimenting on on animals and have been creating hybrid creatures and yeah so it's been it's been i think if you if you're familiar with the story you're kind of you kind of get this sense of build-up to like oh red 23's coming um so yeah anyway that, i just wanted to talk about final fantasy 7 remake some more because i'm enjoying it but i think it has a bit of a pacing issue um so let's not fall into the pacing trap and just uh, keep on powering through uh, this this week's episode. Um, you got uh, what have you been up to uh, since we last spoke? What have you what have been watching or reading or what, what 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 have you got for me this week? I've I've had a couple of things. Um, I have watched the entirety of The Hobbit. I don't know if I've mentioned that I had started it before in in our preamble. Mm. Um, but I've watched the three films, and okay. I have to say my opinion on them has softened. Uh, when I first watched them, I was like, "These are, these are crap." But um, I watched them almost straight after I watched the Lord of the Rings, mm. um, and I have to say it's like, uh, it's just you know, it's a little bit more that's not quite as good and is a bit more more geared towards kids, and that's okay. Um, it's not as bad as I remember, but I will say the first film is just so much better than the the latter two, um, yeah, yeah. which is it's just quite disappointing. Um, beyond that, you know, just good fun. 
I had good fun with it. Um, I, I, I don't actually have any more complex thoughts than that on it because I don't <laughs> think it's I don't think it's that complex a film. Um, um, they're not really that complex. I think they're trying to be more complex than they have any real right to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I get really upset when the Hobbit movies are brought into question because it's one of my favorite books. Um, and you know, it, the Hobbit is more of a kids book than the Lord of the Rings are, and um, I just think the. I mean, it's been said one million times by one million people, but it should have should have just been two two movies, two long films, and then they could have just cut you know cut it out. They didn't have to add in all this extra War for Middle Earth stuff. Uh, with like, you could, didn't need to have the Necrobancer in there. It was just I don't know. It was too much. There's too much going on. It was too unfocused. I think. I I completely agree. Um. I mean, surely there is going to be. What's that? What's that famous Star Wars cut called that cuts loads of stuff out and reorders them and makes? Oh, it so just, the machete order. I can't. I, I can't. That sounds about right. I, I think that there will almost definitely be a version of that with Lord of the Rings. Uh, not Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, rather. And I think that'd probably be much better. There is one. It, oh, r- there you go. Because it, yeah, it really does suffer from just bloat um, yeah and, and um, I think that it would be a far stronger film if they just cut a lot of that out like I mean the enormous section where there's uh, you know giants uh, big stone giants and the long sections about yeah the the necromancer um, just that, that's not necessary all they all they really needed to do with that kind of with, with the sort of throwing forward to the Lord of the Rings, they could have just made, um, sorry, uh, Bilbo have some weird experiences with the ring. That's really all it yeah. needed. Yeah. A um, couple of flashes of the Eye of Sauron when he's doing the whole My Precious thing, and that mm-hmm. that's about it. That's all you really needed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really see the... Didn't really see the... Um, the point in linking it to Lord of the Rings when it is so obviously a prequel already you know it's almost trying too hard to be like yeah but remember the Lord of the Rings though it's like yeah those films came out like not even eight years before the the uh the Hobbit the first maybe I don't know I might have the timing wrong um Uh, what like chronologically or the actual time between the films no at the time between the films I'm thinking like they were still very much in the public public consciousness when the Hobbit was kind of alluding to, but there could be more to this story. It's like, yeah, we know they're very famous films. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a shame because Martin Freeman is very good as Bilbo Baggins, and I like that Radagast the Brown is in it. There's a lot of characters in it that I like, but it's just the story is outrageous. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I would agree, but um, again, I think I enjoyed it, and it gets it gets a worse rap than it deserves. Okay, now well, fair enough. I've not seen them uh, since. I've not seen them for a while, but yeah, I don't have don't have fond memories of them. It's just because I don't know. I think because I have a quite a, a deep 
relationship with the book and I was just yeah just messed up Robin I don't like it so Patch you have a fan theory yes fan theory corner <laughs> this is the is that I, is I think the, we could do better than corner maybe fan theory fan, fan theory farm a fan theory farm yeah fan theory sounds like sounds like a surname as well Oh yeah, my name is it's Patrick like, Fan Theory. It's like old man Fan Theory. He sits out and uh, and he uh, he cultivates all this mad uh, speculation that gathers on the internet. But oh. you know me, Robin. I'm a big fan of of the Muppets. You know, I'm a Muppet fanboy. You know, um, watch Muppets Christmas Carol every Christmas. Uh, it's just great. It's it's, it's one of my favourite wee pop culture things that never get uh, they never really get any spotlight but I stumbled upon a Muppets fan theory uh, this week I am so excited for a Muppets fan theory this is brilliant the theory is that Kermit the Frog inadvertently caused 9-11 wow okay right um, is this is this IRL conspiracy or is this I don't know. No, something. this is this is unintentional canon according to the guy who's written this. Wow. Um so basically, let me I'll break it down for you what I've got here. So in the two thousand and two TV movie called It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas movie, there's a part of the film where an angel shows Kermit the Frog an alternate reality where he was never born. And for some reason, the editors didn't think to cut the, to edit the footage, which was filmed pre 9/11. So, in scenes in New York, in this scene where uh, where Kermit's being shown, you know, the planet Earth where he doesn't exist, it looks as if 9/11 hasn't happened. And then by the end of the film, it's filmed post 9/11. And the towers aren't there, but Kermit is alive. So therefore, something that Kermit did in his life must have inadvertently caused uh, 9-11. So it's essentially some kind of Kermit-based butterfly effect. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> something, something Kermit the Frog has said or done since the airing of the first Muppet show back in the 70s has uh, caused a chain reaction. And that's unintentional canon slash fan theory from uh, Old Man Fan Theory's Fan Theory Farm. I uh, I enjoy this this fan. Well, I mean, apart from the fact that you know, you know, it was a, a horrendous thing that happened. Um, Isn't that wild though? Like what? Like an oversight in editing where they were like, ah, oh, just, just know, leave it right? in. That's and an then incredible just oversight. Accidental canon. Yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the fact that you've you've come in and you've given us well you've come in with some news from old man fan theory and um, it's about Kermit the Frog causing 9/11. That's brilliant. Maybe not on purpose. I'm not saying he's uh, you know that he was a member of Al Qaeda or that he had any ill intentions towards uh, Western civilization, but his existence. Uh, in some way has affected uh, you know the Muppet timeline 
I've been watching Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories, which is available on Netflix at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this is just a great little, yeah, would you call it a drama? Great, almost a sitcom. But uh, mm. they're twenty-minute episodes, and they're Japanese. It's a Japanese show, yeah, with English subtitles. And you basically just—it's uh, a some a little little diner in Tokyo, and each episode, some customers come in, and it follows the story of one customer, and the guy who runs the diner makes them a specific dish, and the title of the title of the episode is that specific dish. And you okay. get this little bite-sized story about the character that's just been introduced, and it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant, Patch, and it's just these little twenty-minute segments. You learn a little bit about a specific type of Japanese food, and you have mm. a nice time. It, it, it it's just great. That sounds really good, actually. That sounds really nice. I think I might have seen that promoed on Netflix. Um, but that, I do, I do like that idea. Just they're all so they're all self-contained stories. It's not like a continuous thread. It's more like there's, an anthology series. There's sort of some continuous thread. There's there's recurring characters. There's um, some some character development. But for the most part, it is they're completely self-contained. Okay. Cool. I need to check that out. What's that called? The the Midnight Diner. Midnight Diner. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I did, I have really noticed about it, which I think is just wonderful, is the fact that there's just no judgment in it whatsoever. Like, right. So the people who who eat in this diner, you've got yakuza members, you've got general people, you've got strippers, you've got drag queens, you've got gay guys, you've got philosophers, you've got poets, you've got physicists, you've got lawyers, and it's just like, oh, that's what you are. Cool, you know. <laughs> Like yeah. absolutely judgment free. As soon as you're in this diner, you're just another patron, and that's great. And you know, it's so nice to see something that's just like, oh, you know, this is just a nice, nice safe space where we're gonna have a nice time. There's no, no intense tension. You don't need to worry about stuff. You're just gonna, you're sitting down for twenty minutes and having a nice time with nice characters, being nice to each other, and it's, it's, it's lovely. And I think. You know, it's nice to have that media in in the current world atmosphere, and also the current world atmosphere of media. Yeah, I feel that a lot of media and dramas specifically, it's really you know it's intense, and a lot of it's really it's it a lot to take. But you sure. know, nice little. It's almost it gives me a sort of in in many ways not, but in some ways the same sort of feeling that Adventure Time gave me that. You just, you know, you're just here for for a little ride. It's going to be a nice time. You don't need to think about much. You know, you just let it wash over you. It's a good time. Nice. I like the sound of that. That sounds really lovely. Um, it, it, it's really, it's really lovely, and it's uh, great to watch before bed because it's just like a little wholesome hug, and then you go to bed, and it's nice. <laughs> Very good. I'll check that out. Um, <clears throat> well, I had a Netflix show to bring up as well. I wasn't gonna because I was wary that for a while we were becoming just the Netflix review podcast, <laughs> like every other episode we were talking about Netflix shows. But um, I got really into a uh, uh, just similar th- sort of you know it's a foreign foreign made Netflix original show. <clears throat> it's another French Netflix show. I think Netflix uh, French Netflix seem to be uh, doing really 
doing really well in terms of things that I enjoy. Um, but I watched the series uh, Lupin, the first series of Lupin, uh, right. which, uh, if you can imagine, BBC's Sherlock, but for the Victorian thief Arsene Lupin, then you've pretty much got it. If you've no idea who Arsene Lupin is, then uh, you know that's no problem. The show does a great job of setting up the premise because uh, I wasn't, sh- I'd never heard of it before. Um, interestingly, my only reference for Lupin was uh, there's like an anime series, Lupin, Lupin the Third, uh, which I think is based off the off the books, uh, the the French series of novels, um, which essentially again is like Sherlock Holmes, but instead of a master detective, he's like a he's a gentleman thief. Um, so yeah, this series is like a modern take on the concept, much like Sherlock was. Okay. So, so the, but the guy isn't Lupin. He's a guy that's very heavily inspired by the Lupin books. Like he's, he's all of his capers are are inspired by uh, Arsene Lupin's stories. I, um, I, I actually, just to sort of jump in here, um, I, I, I actually like that premise more than I like the sort of just straight modern reimagining like like Sherlock. I think it frees you up a lot more. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You please, go, not, please go on. No, that's fine. No, that's fine. I, I agree. I think you're not you're not really beholden to any uh to any lore or established uh storylines or anything like that. You can kinda of do your own thing. Um so yeah this guy, uh the main character of Lupin, uh he lives his life inspired by the early 1900s book series um, and he's seeking revenge for uh, the framing for the framing and suspected murder of his father uh, which was like pulled off by basically this uh, super powerful media magnate in France uh, and the whole series is just like he's he's stolen a precious object and He's uh, just trying to think now because <laughs> it's it's not fresh in my head. I watched it ages ago, but I wanted to talk about it because it's great. Um, essentially, pulling off heists and jailbreaks—it's all—it's all a continuous storyline, and it, this is only like part one. So it came to like the end of the series, and I didn't realize it was the last episode, and it ends on this like mad cliffhanger that I wasn't prepared for. And it was one of those things where you know when you're just sat watching a TV series for like three days straight and then all of a sudden it's over yeah like, that can't be it <laughs> there has to be more to this story uh, so Lup- <laughs> Lupin Lupin part 2 is coming soon um, so yeah I love that shit you know just like uh, clever you know clever spy thief investigative narrative like mystery kind of stuff you know yeah um, so yeah you've always you've always had a sort of um persuasion towards that that kind of media yeah yeah no i like it. intrigue i think is, is what you'd, you'd say like uh, not political intrigue but you know just like mysteries thrillers that kind of stuff um but yeah no i'd say this is another win for french netflix and um another series to add to my list of tv shows to name drop when uh i'm trying to impress people <laughs> about the foreign TV shows that I watch, I actually, uh, I actually watch foreign foreign media. I uh, don't know if you know that. Don't know if you know that about me. I'm a very, I'm a very impressive man, but I watch uh, French shows with uh, subtitles on. It's, uh, it's just trying to 
you just trying to, you know, improve my uh, f- my mon, mon français by watching uh, shows with the subtitles on and just <laughs> soaking myself in the la couture of uh, oh my God. Uh, Bibliotheca Television Netflix original series, you know. The worst um, thing is I've met people like that, genuinely. <laughs> um, I found that watching this and the other French series I was watching... Um, a very secret service, like you know, if I if I end up binging them for a day, then I'm like, oh, I can speak French still. It's still in my head from high school, you know. Like it unlocks, it unlocks a little thing in the back of my head, being like, oh yeah, language. I remember that. Um, you know, before everyone was just screaming at each other, you know. So I have to say, um, watching watching Midnight Diner has has improved my Japanese food vocabulary. But again, I'm not watching it to learn Japanese or to improve my Japanese. I'm watching it because it's good. Yeah, same with me and Lupin, to be honest. I've been trying to sell it to so many people. Uh, But a a couple of people I've told to watch it, I've said they watched it with the dubbing and, like, the acting, like, the dubbing acting is just really bad. And then I I switched over halfway through an episode to check and it is like, yeah, the dubbing's not great. Um, Mm Yeah. But hey, uh, if you like reading, I watch everything with su- I watch everything with subtitles on these days. I've found, just even if it's in English, I just uh, I don't know. I feel I, I think quite a few people are doing this now. You just have subtitles on anyway. Yeah, just, I, I've I've noticed that that it's an increasing sort of trend. Yeah, because it's not like it's not like um going deaf or anything. You know, I just I just like. I like knowing that I'm not missing anything in the dialogue. Yeah, I, I can you know understand I mean? that. Yeah. Um, uh, and the whole whole subtitles versus dub debate, you know, that anime people love to argue about. I generally, if it's if it's the rare occasion that I'm watching anime, I'll try to watch dubbed because it's like eight thousand words per second. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, come on, man. My head well, can't take that. I'm not. I, I'm not a supercomputer. Yeah, well, it's very much a case by case basis for me. You know, like if the, like if the voice acting and the dubbing is good, then I'll watch it dubbed. But if it's not, then I'll just watch it subtitled. And I don't. I don't really mind. Like it does. Just does. Just depend on which anime it is. Um, for sure. Yeah. Well, apparently, like Space Dandy, the. I've heard that the voice acting in English is better than the voice acting in Japanese anyway so people just watch I, that I, dub because the English version is considered the superior version of the you know over the Japanese one which I thought was quite an interesting take I watched Space Dandy in the dubbed and I, I thought the I thought the voice acting was fabulous I thought it's it was really, really good, good isn't it yeah such a good show ah great uh, show Blast from the Past that one um, uh, it's an old episode there yeah speaking from Blasts from the Past um I've also finally I'm finally caught up on American Gods <laughs> the oh, Amazon wow. Prime TV series where the hell did that come from Patch um well because I've been trying to watch it for like years now since it started like I've, I think I've had three different attempts at getting through it and like just recently finally got fully caught up on it um and it's good it's a good show man I just feel like it's got a bit of a maybe just a bit of a focus issue mm-hmm. where it's like um, where I think it's just the directing can be a bit off-putting at times where some, a lot of you know, because it's Neil Gaiman's writing which is quite, 
it's based it's based off a Neil Gaiman book, which already is full of like mystery and metaphor and intrigue and very obtuse riddles. Uh, and then that's paired with uh, the the TV director uh, Brian Fuller, who is also very much into that style of storytelling. And when the two are together, like it creates a very a lot of very trippy, dreamlike sequences, including you know elder gods who who are slowly dying out. Um, and it's the show has this kind of strict adherence to the show don't tell policy, but it kind of I feel like it should be telling more than it is, if that makes sense. Where it's like you know the main character will have this uh, vision quest about the next part of the story he's supposed to go on but none of it makes sense until you know the very end of the story where it's like oh that's what that meant where I feel like it'd be quite off-putting to people who are just watching it casually like I was you know I think that yes show don't tell generally is great but it can go too far like a little bit of exposition in, Mm -hmm. in a show don't tell kind of environment can go a long way yeah and like speaking of favorite books, like The Hobbit, like American Gods is is one of my other favorite books oh, that right. I've read, and you know I'm really glad that it's been turned into a TV show, and it is very faithful to the book until well until maybe about halfway through uh, season two or maybe the end of season one because it because it's so long ago that I read it that stuff happens in the show that I'm like, wait, did this happen? I can't quite remember if it happened in the book or not. Like, there's a whole side plot with um, the main character's dead wife. Um, who... And I'm like, I can't remember how much she was in the original book. And they, they give a lot more screen time to side characters, which is cool, because it kind of... It explores the mythos of the, the world of, you know, gods and monsters, which which I quite like. Um, mm. But it suffers slightly from the post Game of Thrones multiple story thread disorder, yeah. where it's like we got to have three different stories going on at once, and then by the end of the series they'll converge. And it doesn't really need to do that. I like, I, I mean, I like all the different stories because they explore concepts as like what is a god and where does a god come from and how does a god get their power in the context of this TV show, you know, in this world that's been created. And there's lots of really interesting, like, short stories, which are from the book, which is, like, you know, from the from the creation of America and how these gods came to America. Like, how, you know, different civilizations and different cultures came to, to the continent and brought their beliefs with them. And now all these gods are just kind of hanging around, like, well, no one believes in us anymore. And they all believe in technology... And uh, now there's a whole bunch of new gods that we have to fight. So it's a really interesting concept for a story. And I think the TV series is almost stretched out a bit too thin. Hmm. It's getting to the point now where I think I'd like the story to wrap up. And it's in its third series. It's in its third season now. And much like with Lupin, like I got to the latest episode and I was like, oh, I'm fully caught up. And it was quite a satisfying feeling because, as I said, it's taken me three attempts to get here because <laughs> I kept like dropping off eat something yeah I kept dropping off and being like and forgetting what had happened before so I had to go back to the beginning so yeah it's, it's good so I'm continuing with American Gods I'd recommend it it's good uh, like I said Brian Fuller's 
direct directorial style is a bit um is a wee bit out there he directed the hannibal tv series i don't know if you've watched that i haven't but yes i understand yeah so hannibal was very much the same where like a lot of i mean hannibal was a lot of grotesque imagery of like gruesome murders but murders presented as if they were like you know art installations and the soundtrack was all kind of like uh picasso strings and uh and percussion pots and pans being tipped down the stairs very like arty art video music and this still has a bit of that carried over um with i don't know with like also with really excellent as i keep saying dream sequences and uh, visions of like the netherworld and stuff and then just like really trippy sex scenes that go on for maybe just a bit too long <laughs> you know uh, guys, Whereas, guys I'm, I'm getting uncomfortable here yeah it's like we're gonna show two gods having sex with each other it's like oh, that's a cool concept but uh, it's been about five minutes come on <laughs> come on guys <laughs> you know there's a really there's a there's a good one of the coming to America stories uh, that is taken from the books is a um, he's an Arab, he's like an Arabic salesman that's come over to America to sell like tat from his homeland uh, and he's ha- having a lot of trouble selling his wares and he meets uh, a jinn who's like a cab driver in New York um, and, you're talking, and he's like I can't believe I've met a jinn you're from like the old city of fire and he's like yeah and like they fall in love, and uh, there's like a there's a very full on man on man sex scene in like the first three episodes of the show. <laughs> it goes on right. for about five minutes, and it's very trippy. It's like it's like a genie with his eyes on fire, and um, it's just I don't know. It's just it's, it just goes on for ages. <laughs> it's like okay, great, good stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm into that. I love it. You ever dream of becoming a road warrior? Just with you, your car, the long, lonesome road, and a whole lot of spikes. That could be you. With Raider Oo. Listen to this young man and his testimony. Hello, I was, uh, yes, I was surviving, eating not much. <laughs> Eating just uh, old cans of dog food and, and uh, rat, rat, rat pellets, but now I've uh, I joined uh, Ra- Raider Roo and I'm a I'm a full fledged uh, road warrior. Uh, it's it's a real good lifestyle. I enjoy it a lot. If you like uh, driving and fighting and getting hurt, then the road warrior lifestyle is for me and it's for you. I'm a road boy and that's. That's who I am. Yes, but shall we move on to Topic of the Week? Yes, let's do it. Topic of the Week. Um, do you want me to lead in? Yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're 15, 50 minutes in, so I think it's Topic of the Week time. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, so from confusing confusing dreamlike metaphors that make little to no sense in American Gods, we're going to move on to the perfectly clear-cut and understandable Disney Plus television series, WandaVision. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
which is the the latest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's uh, the first. It's the first true MCU television series, which kind of breaks my heart to say that because I love Daredevil, um, and that was that whole Netflix Marvel series was meant to be part of the MCU, but then for whatever reason it got cut out. Oh, that's been um, that's been retconned. It's been retconned. Uh, I mean, it all took place post Avengers. But it's none of it's ever been acknowledged in the MCU proper. Hmm. So yeah, there's rumors of Charlie Cox showing up in the next Spider-Man film. But anyway, I digress. WandaVision is the first for re- it's the first TV series that like that is like no for real. This is part of the MCU. Actually, though, pay attention because this is going to be important in later films. Rather than <laughs> sit down, there- pay- I hope you're making notes. Yeah, rather than Daredevil being like, Avengers happened and now it's time for Daredevil. This is like, Endgame happens and it's still happening, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but yes, um, the show follows um, uh, Wanda Maximoff, uh, also known as the Scarlet Witch, um, as she kind of goes on sitcom-styled uh sitcom styled adventures with her husband uh, Vision as they try and uh, make a life for themselves away from being superheroes and just as normal folks Uh, this presentation is very quickly taken over by something's not quite right in the world of WandaVision and uh, there might be a lot more uh, might be you know a lot more than meets the eye in these uh, crazy TV shows so um yeah, and that is being very slowly drip-fed to us over the series of ep- of uh, weeks. <laughs> That's my synopsis of uh, One Division. Great uh, synopsis there. Thanks. Do you think it made sense? Uh, vaguely. Um, well, vague I, I is what we're going for. I would say that One Division. So it takes place post Endgame, and are obviously our titular characters are Wanda Maximoff and Vision. Um, yep. The vision, rather, um, and the main premise, the hook of the show, is that it's basically everything is built on a homage to very old sitcom style uh, shows that were put out. So, I Love Lucy, Bewitched, um, these type of shows, yep. and each episode develops into a new era so starting off in the sort of 1950s then we go into the 1960s and it develops within each episode into a new um time and it follows all of the all of the sitcom tropes of that time but during this chronological development of the shows there is also a underlying plot development where more of the external MCU universe is creeping into this um, almost surreal apart sitcom universe. Yes. So let's just straight up uh, we're going to go, we're going to take a deep dive into spoiler territory for WandaVision so if you're waiting for it all to finish or if you haven't watched any of it yet I'm just going to straight up say this is a spoiler alert for WandaVision. I'm going to hit the button. There we go. That's the spoiler button hit. Um, 
Now, I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna fire straight in with my opening thoughts here, and perhaps perhaps you can you can develop and question those. Yeah. Um. Straight out, I'm almost, I'm really disappointed that they started weaving it into a larger narrative. Now, I'm I, what I would have really liked to see is if they just made it as as a homage to these old school sitcoms and literally didn't reference anything. I thought really? that would be yeah. I thought that would be absolutely brilliant. So no, no sword stuff, no end game stuff. It's literally just Scarlet Witch and Vision in this weird homage sitcom universe, and they don't reference anything. I thought that would have been great, but it would have frustrated pretty much anyone other than me to the nth degree because. You know, <laughs> Everyone, everyone wants that, you know, that larger MCU stuff. But you know how much I like, I really like comic book one shots. That's that's yeah. what I'm into. Yeah. Um, so to see that these exact characters that we've seen, just boom, there you go. It's in here. You go. It's a sitcom made with Vision and Scarlet Witch, and this is nothing to do with the larger universe. I thought that would have been absolutely brilliant. Well, would you have kept in all the stuff about like all the little glitches, like what's going on, what's happening, or would you have just no, had a no glitches sitcom? whatsoever, nothing, nothing like that. <laughs> I would have hated that, Robin. That sounds that sounds weird. everyone, everyone yeah. would have hated that. Weird and shit. I think Brian Fuller could probably direct that and uh, add it to his <laughs> American Gods, uh, American Gods averse, um, which is what I'm now dubbing it. And, yeah, but I, other than other than that sort of that weird desire on my part, I did. I just over. I really like it. I really I, my takeaway. I really enjoy it. I think the set design and the amount of credence they have paid to these old um, TV shows they took in, inspiration from is brilliant. And I think yeah. we, the way they're weaving it into the larger narrative is incredible. And oh my god, the budget they've put behind this thing is just obscene it's clearly obscene when you compare it to stuff like daredevil and punisher it's like okay so they're being serious with this one aren't they yeah yeah for sure i mean yeah absolutely because it definitely does uh i mean the production design and all that i just going back to what you said about the kind of homage to the old television shows they got a real eye for detail about what those shows were all about and they really captured the theme and the setting of those different years of television, uh, which is really cool to see. And I really liked all the kind of little glitches and, you know, what's going on in the background. Um, I do find it a bit frustrating that maybe there's not enough being told in each episode. Like, you're always left with, like, oh, another another question left. <clears throat> another question left unanswered, you know? Uh, we have to wait another week. Um... I do like it overall. I like the kind of general vibe of it. I would agree with you. I think the overall the overall tone of it is is brilliant, and it's um, it's just intelligently done. It's intelligently put together, and it's it is in the same level of quality as the MCU proper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does definitely seem to be. Like, I mean, while this is meant to lead into whichever film is coming in next, I think it's meant to lead directly into the next Doctor Strange film, which I'm quite excited yeah. about. 
because I've become a bit of a Doctor Strange nerd over the past couple months. Like, I've been reading a lot of Doctor Strange comics. I really love that guy. He's great. (laughs) You know? To the point where, like, just to take a little tangent, um, my fiance, you know, she's really into her kind of, like, crime procedurals. Like, those, like, things like NCIS and, like, Castle and stuff. And, you know, there was an episode of one where... you know every crime procedural has an episode where they deal with like a voodoo killing where you know slightly racially insensitive like oh it's a voodoo killing let's do lots of weird new orleans stuff (laughs) yeah um and then like they come they come to this like abandoned shop front and they uncover like they move some stuff around and then they uncover like this little glyph written in blood on the floor and i was just kind of passively just watching be like oh yeah cool but then as soon as I saw the glyph, I was like, uh-oh, that's going to explode. Forgetting that it was, like, just a regular crime procedural set in the real world. <laughs> like, they uncovered this glyph, and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> they're going to something. They're gonna have to put, a, you know, they're going to have to get someone to uh, cure this hex. Or, like, you know, there, there's, like, a fireball going to explode. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, this is set in the real world. Brilliant. Um, but, yeah. So I've been reading arguably too much Doctor Strange recently because it's affecting my, perce- my perception of other... <laughs> TV series. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so this is meant to link into the next Doctor Strange film, I think. Um, there's lots of hints to, you know, uh, the wider Marvel movie lexicon. Yep, for sure. Um, uh, or library, whatever word you want to use. Um, there's hints that Wanda herself is bending the fabric of reality to her will whether intentionally or not that's definitely happening um yeah so i'm really keen to see kind of how this resolves itself Mm. and um i really uh, you know the latest episode which you haven't seen which you've said you've not seen no i I haven't seen episode six i'm i'm only up to episode five but as i have said in our preamble i'm more than happy to be spoiled on episode six it's fine Uh, well, episode six has been my favourite era of television so far because they essentially just do Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> that's, that's, their, that's their take on uh, late 90s sitcoms. It's just, it's just an episode of Malcolm in the Middle, which uh, just made me very happy on the inside. And it's like berserk because it feels... It's, it seems to have looped back around on itself where like it feels very Disney Channel, like the style... Because, I mean, obviously, like, it's very heavily inspired by Malcolm in the Middle, but it has very Disney Channel, um, has a, it has a very Disney Channel directorial style where it's kind of, a lot of the stories told from the perspective of their kids. And it's yeah. just bonkers to me now that this is on Disney Plus and now they're doing an homage to TV series that they used to run themselves. And yeah, I was, I was, my mind was doing somersaults. I was like, oh, what, what is this? What's going on? This, what is, you know, what Lizzie, is happening Lizzie here? McGuire, Malcolm in the Middle, iCarly homage that they're just basically homaging themselves, you know? So strange. Brilliant. But yeah. But maybe yeah, they, they got in some of the old crew um, who made them just be like, Mate, I, honestly, I, they, I think they absolutely have done because like even like the incidental music in the background is almost exactly the same as like Malcolm in the Middle, which I don't think was a Disney property, but it is, you know, that, that very... Um, I th- might be thinking of I might be thinking of even Stevens actually as well, which right. was uh, the Shia LaBeouf uh, fronted uh, take on that style. Um, but yeah, so like it's weird. I haven't really considered before what 
style of TV show they're going to homage next because they're kind of almost fully caught up with present day sitcoms. And it's, it's like, going to be uh, it's going to be Big Bang Theory. Oh, I, I hope I, I well, I was kind of hoping it would be like the Office Parks and Rec style. <laughs> where like they do where like it cut or like modern family where like they cut to like little short uh talking heads from each of the cast members and you know everyone's now and then again just giving sly looks to the camera which i think would work quite well with the tone of like you know they could look at the camera and just be like help me i'm trapped rather than you know look at the camera and like wink as they often do in right. those um and and you know like later style sitcoms like the office and parks and rec no, that's that's good. I like that. I think yeah. you're right there. But um, yeah, maybe they could just do Big Bang Theory. But I would, I would, I would be depressed because they just reference themselves. It's like, what are you, Iron Man? It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I am actually. <laughs> uh, well, you'd have. I mean, Tony Stark would have to come back, but clearly Scarlet Witch is. Like, she could just do that. <laughs> yeah, man. Ah, oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, she can do that. Uh, apparently, and I like that uh, she's brought back. Um, She's brought back a Quicksilver from uh, from the X Men the the uh, the X Men universe, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is which was nuts to me. Opens up a whole new can of worms where you're like, you know, what does this mean for the for the X Men universe? Um, and I mean, watching episode six, I'm kind of now back on. Oh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it's just like an extended kind of Easter egg wink to the audience for sure. Because she recast him, but that's just kind of a, a a nod to people being recast in shows in general. And when you watch episode six, there's not much of a sense that he's been brought from another universe. She's just basically cast him as a different person. Yeah. So I think it, there's probably not. Maybe myself and a lot of other fans were looking in, were looking into it too deep to be like, oh, maybe she's gonna bring in the the latest X Men films to the mcu and it'll all be part of that i think no i think maybe there's just that was just a fun little thing that they decided that they could do you know they're like oh we'll just make it other quicksilver because why not let's just fuck with people it's, you know it's just, it's fun you know um but i like that actor I, I do i do think his run as quicksilver in the later x-men films has been quite has been quite fun he's like he's a he's a more fun character than uh quicksilver was in uh Age of Ultron, which yeah. is a shame, you know, because I like I Aaron. I, I, I like I like that actor, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll all make sense down the line. I'm hoping all of this makes sense by the end of it, to be honest. I'm hoping it doesn't. I'm hoping we're going fully bonkers and none of it makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of... So I think, I think we've established we both really like this. I don't have many gripes with it whatsoever, other than the fact it didn't do my one-shot thing, but I completely understand why, because that would have been appealing to an audience of one. Um, But, uh, uh, I mean, I I just want to jump into my full sort of, like, fan theory, fan hope. um, Oh, yeah, you you said you had a fan theory, yeah. Yeah, so she, Scarlet Witch, brings her two children into existence. Um, Uh and, And from the comics, I understand that when she brings them into existence... It's from two shards of um, what's the what's the MCU devil called Lucifer or something Mephisto Mephisto. So these shards of Mephisto. Um, okay. And they do reference that in episode six that I've heard because Quicksilver says, "Oh, you spawns of Satan," 
which they technically are because she uses these shards to make them. Now, here's, here is my hope, that these are actually the shards. It's not just a little reference. And that allows Mephisto to be manifested into the universe, into the sure. MCU. So then Mephisto is the next big bad. Now, this makes sense on the grounds that we're going into multiverse of madness and Mephisto is a sort of, he's sort of in the Constantine Doctor Strange zone. Um, yeah. So here's my hope that Mephisto is outed as the next big bad. We see this in Doctor Strange, multiverse of madness. We introduce Constantine as a character into the MCU. After the, Wait, um, after the Fantastic Four film, we get a standalone Doom film. And then we get Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom going down to hell to kick Mephisto's ass. This is my hope, and I really want this to happen. I don't think it will, but that's my hope. I'd love that to happen as well, because like we've spoken about this frequently. I think off the podcast, but like one of my favorite Doctor Strange stories is the one where he does team up with Doctor Doom to basically rescue Doctor Doom's mother from hell. And it's just, uh, it's it's a wild time, man. It's so good. That was like a long time ago, though. That was like one of Mike Mignola's first outings as a comic book artist before he did Hellboy, even. Um, but yeah, I love that stuff. My one issue with your fan theory, Robin. Yeah? Is that um, Constantine is a DC character? Oh, I thought I thought Constantine was MCU. That's a that's an enormous oversight on my part. My apologies. No, it's fine. No, I'm, I'm, you're not you're not about to get angry letters from from me about it. <laughs> uh, no, but like as Constantine, Constantine is sort of DC's answer to Doctor Strange. He's basically the same guy, uh, but in a detective trench coat rather than a magical cape. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do love Constantine though. It has to be said, he's a he's a cool character as well. Um, Constantine's awesome. Yeah, no. So yeah, so I mean, Doctor Strange is essentially like the same character. So I think you'll probably get something similar to what you want. Um, I too would love a standalone Doctor Doom film, but I've I've been burned too many times when it comes to I... cinematic representations of of Doom. So um, yeah, I'm just I'm uh, I'd love it, but I I'm yeah very very. Uh, you know, nervous about what they're going to do with with that guy next. I think we're ready for Doom. You think the world's ready for a proper Doctor Doom? I think the world's ready for a proper Doctor Doom. I hope so. And I think Marvel is... I, I think basically all they've been doing up to this point is practicing to get ready to make a Doctor Doom film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like like you said, like I think... I think it would be much better if they, uh, if not a standalone Doctor Doom film, don't make him the Fantastic Four's protagonist straight away. Yeah, um, that that would be that. I think that would be just a terrible idea because yeah. Doom is his own character, um, yeah. not just a villain. Um, and I would like to not make Doctor Doom the big bad. That would be. Again, he's he's his own thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of Doctor Doom being the next big bad that threatens the MCU, but 
he has a he has a good streak. He does have the interests of the planet at heart. Like he wants to rule the world. So like if 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 someone's threatening to take over, then he's going to join sides with with his former enemies. You know, uh, which I think would be really well, I mean, interesting. There's there's loads of examples of Doom essentially being the good guy because what there there's been sections where Doom's basically seen every. It's similar, similar to when Doctor Strange saw the different options of the future. Doctor Doom saw this, and he was like, "The universe is going to end unless I become, you know, the unless I take over the world." There's another yeah. one. There's another section where um, I think it's I think it's Thanos. <laughs> never, Thanos. it's never gonna. Um, but he splits up the pretty much all of the characters um in the in, in the MCU into to fight each other and they're split into basically their moral lines so uh-huh. you got some good guys who were put in the bad team and you got some bad guys who were put into the good team but Doctor Doom was put into the good team because ultimately he has the he has the the earth and the universes um you know What's what's the word I'm looking best for? Best interests. Interests. Best interests at heart. Yeah, I know. I'm really interested to see what they do. Like I am nervous. I think it's weird to say that for you know a, a fictional character that ultimately doesn't doesn't matter uh, in the grand scheme of 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 the real world. But I am nervous to see uh, what becomes of uh, Doctor Doom. I'm excited to see the Fantastic Four. Uh, yep. Excited to see Doom. Uh, basically all I want is a uh, like the bare minimum of what I want is for the costume to be good <laughs> if they can get the costume right then I'll be that I'll be 10% happier you know yeah just in general I mean one of the one of the biggest problems is the fact that if if they make doom bad like not not bad as in ethically bad bad as in like a shit character in the current MCU, then that's that. That's it. You know? Yeah. They've done it. He's in there forever as a shit character. And that's um it's kind of upsetting. And there's also the worry on my end that they use him as the the first villain trope, where the first villain for all the Marvel characters has been basically a, a, you know, a polar opposite to the protagonist of the film that dies at the end of the first film you yep. know and you never see them again uh, the only exception I could think of off the top of my head anyway is Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming and Jude Law in um, Captain Marvel where he doesn't yep. die she just shoots him off in a space pod back to his home planet and be like tell them that I'm the protector of Earth now um, and uh, yeah so yeah, other than that, all the villains have been killed immediately and there's been no scope for development, which is disappointing, really. Um, good to know that, that uh, Vulture's still around, though. I, I really like that My- Michael Keaton is still in the MCU, just Michael Keatoning his way about the place. Um, yeah, Michael Keaton playing Michael Keaton. Yeah. Um, again, just a callback to uh, the trailer for Morbius, which... I guess it's oh, coming yeah. coming at some point soon. Uh, um, he's in that, so he is. So Morbius is somehow going to be linked to the MCU at large, uh, which will be interesting. 
It will be. Um, but we're getting way off topic from one division. I have to say. Well, that's what happens when you talk about like you know introductive properties. Because I mean, one division is essentially we're into phase three now. Here's the sort of things we can speculate about. That I mean, that's its purpose more or less. It's a it, it's an introductory platform to phase three. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Speaking of introductory, I asked yes. this I asked this question uh, to my fiance yesterday. But do you think any of what's going on in one division will make any sense at all to anyone who hasn't seen any of the Marvel movies? I like how, actually. How, you go? I, I think I think one division is quite friendly to to new watchers. Yeah. Um, I think you could start with WandaVision and you could just go straight into Phase 3. Yeah, nothing. I think maybe. I think you could start... But it's very hard for, for me as someone who's seen... I've seen every every MCU film apart from Ant-Man and the Wasp and um, Captain Marvel. So yeah. I'm fairly well-versed in them. So it's hard for me from that perspective to say what it'd be like as a as a new watcher yeah no i agree like because i because yeah i've got the same perspective i think there's stuff in there that will maybe be a wee bit confusing if you're not familiar with the marvel films i'm just trying to figure out whether or not i'd recommend this series to someone who was just like a casual film goer who hadn't seen all the mcu films i think i'd recommend it in the fact that it is quite a intriguing kind of science fiction show. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Apart from the MCU completely, it's it's good in that it's got a sort of, like, X-Files, Twin Peaks-style, you know, who knows what's going to happen next energy about it. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, I think, hopefully, if the story is resolved at the end of this series, then it would be something I could recommend to, say, like, your dad... Just like, yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's a good show. Give it a watch, you know? Recommend it to your old da. Aye. That's what, that should be our barometer for, like, shows and films. It's like, would your dad like it? <laughs> Rather than <laughs> would you go outside for us? Like, we'll just change the whole podcast to uh, would your dad like it? <laughs> oh, I'm, um, not sure, I'm not sure about this one, son. <laughs> well, I think that actually, that, that neatly ties us up rather than us just rampantly speculating for another three hours um, <laughs> to would you go outside for WandaVision yeah no I would very easily uh, I would go outside for I'm a little bit frustrated that it doesn't doesn't give you very much to go on each episode like I feel especially the last three episodes I've left with more questions than I have had answers which has been a little frustrating um, and I don't know if the writers of one division, like oh, <laughs> aren't we clever? All this mystery, and it's just more like no, come on, just give us, give us something to keep me going. Like there's um, in the last episode you watched, right? Uh, Agent Rambo was like, oh, I think I know someone who can help with this. I'm going to text them and get them to show up. By the end of season, by the end of episode six, that person still hasn't shown up, and I was like, well, I would at least like to see who that is, even if it's just at the very end of the episode, just someone's face be like, here I am. You rang, rather than. I mean, the 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 inference is that it's one of the mainline heroes, you know. Yeah, no, I know. Like Hulk but, like, or something. But who is it? 
You know, it's like, is it going to be Bruce Banner? Is it going to be Doctor Strange? Is it going to be Captain Marvel? It's probably not going to be Captain Marvel. I think it might be a Skrull scientist. But I would just like mm. just a little shot of like, hey guys, you know, just at the end of the show, they're like, oh, okay, it's that guy. Good. I, I can, I don't have to f- tear my hair out over who it's going to be for the next three episodes. I think just drip feeding information can be frustrating if done wrong. And I feel like it is maybe done a little bit wrong here. Uh, okay. But overall, the show is good, and I would go outside for. So yeah, how about you? I have to say, yeah, I would absolutely go outside for it, even though it wasn't what I wanted perfectly. But no, I totally would go outside for it. And I mean, my only gripe about it is that the withholding of the information that Scarlet Witch went in and nicked Vision's body. Like, why would you hold on to that information? Surely you would just open with that, um, you know? Um, yeah. Which is just a little... It's a little dumb, but other than that, totally happy with it. I would go outside and snatch this up big time. Excellent. You would step outside into the hex grid and uh, and kidnap the show off the... Uh, take a recording off it, of it off of the uh, private sword uh, tapes. <laughs> uh, managed by John Favreau. <laughs> yeah. Also, I don't like how Sword is just an evil version of Shield. Like that just seems lazy to me. Well, they don't seem evil. They just seem aggressive. Yeah, but yeah. That's yeah, more militant. They're just a more militant version of Shield, which I just it just seems like lazy writing. It's like you know, Shield was too slow to get things done. We're just going to shoot her now. It's like, okay, <laughs> well done. Uh, but it's I, a bit silly. Yeah, I think that's probably just a flaw of the character who's in charge of Sword, but. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what comes of Sword in the next uh, few Marvel movies. Um, For sure. Yeah. But you mentioned you haven't watched Captain Marvel. Uh, I watched that yesterday for the first time since it was out in the cinema. Um, it's not not bad uh, as far as Marvel movies go. Uh, Brie Larson, pretty good. Um, yeah, we can speculate more on Captain Marvel another time. But Once for now... Because I have been meaning to watch it for a long time. But for watched. now... For now, uh, let's let's leave it there for another episode of the Don't Go Outside podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed uh, this chat about WandaVision that kind of was all over the place. But as Robin so rightly pointed out, any chat that is even remotely adjacent to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially at this stage... It's just going to be rampant speculation. So it's very difficult to keep focused <laughs> on the show For itself. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, uh, as always, everyone, uh, don't go outside. Yeah, don't go outside or you might end up trapped in some strange universe where you're repeating old TV shows indefinitely. Exactly. Don't go outside, everyone, because you're in a coma. And if you step outside, that's it. You need to stay stay with us. Otherwise, <laughs> the, the Scarlet Witch will have you. And uh, no, Robin's one was better. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Don't Go Outside is your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse. Brought to you by Patch and Robin. If you enjoyed this episode of Don't Go Outside, why don't give us a follow on Spotify or subscribe to us on iTunes and you'll be updated whenever a new episode is released. You can also find episode updates and other fun news on our Instagram feed at dgo underscore podcast.